It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Back in Columbia after a uh, very abbreviated trip to Atlanta for Mitchell Forty and myself. I'm Gabe DeArmond on the phone with us. Chris Clark from Gamecock Central. We're going to continue our Missouri football opponent previews. We are to week four. Uh, Actually, it's only week three because, again, we did not preview Tennessee Martin and probably will not at any point. But our third preview is week four, South Carolina. Chris, you still in Atlanta or are you back in uh, the other Columbia? Back in the other Columbia, uh, letting Wes do the real work. Uh, he's he's the brains of the operation, and so uh, he's staying back, checking out the on-field action at the Five Star Challenge, and I'm I'm back at the homestead in Columbia, just uh, getting some other things done. Well, if Wes wants to work for us, let me know because we do not have any brains of our operation, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> we, not true. We just go day to day. But um, all right, so uh, we are getting closer to like the end of the what do we talk about and what do we write period um media day is what i think two and a half three weeks away so what's the uh what's the spring and summer been like over in south carolina well it's just it's been interesting um you know just of course summer workouts going on for the team and of course we don't know we hear certain things here and there about how things are going but um not of course anything under the rules that we can watch no practice going on so fairly quiet from a team front um there's been you know some pretty substantial action in recruiting this this cycle has been a little different because of course it's uh, now with the summer official visits allowed programs have handled that different ways but south carolina staff was you know pretty aggressive with it with, with how will muschamp wanted to do things and so they had actually a really big official visitor weekend the first weekend of june um we're in the dead period now of course but there's still some happenings in recruiting with uh, you know, the staff taking some time off, but still in communication with kids. And really the summer was a month or a period of months in which we knew that South Carolina was going to try to make some hay in the recruiting class. And certainly they did that, you know, in, in May and in June. And right now it's just about positioning themselves to, to make some more runs at guys once the season begins. But um, they, they picked up some commitments this summer. And, uh, you know, they're in a good spot right now with 15 commitments for the top 15 class a chance to move up or down from there just depending on how things go and actually some more summer decisions on the horizon even during the dead period uh, possibly so um, it's been an interesting time covering the recruiting class because this is one that's I think taken shape pretty well for them. Chris uh, Mitchell Forty here I know that uh, Will Muschamp kind of took a step forward with this team in his second year there last season um, you know, I, some people have kind of talked uh, about South Carolina as, as maybe the uh, the kind of number two team in the in the East right now behind Georgia. What's kind of the expectation yeah. like uh, in Columbia among the fan base for this season? I'd say that's about right. I mean, I think everybody's pointing towards you know that that opener against Georgia. You know, early in the season, not season opener, of course, but early SEC game play in Georgia at home, a Georgia team that is still look very, very talented, of course, from top to bottom, offensively, defensively, um, but also a team that walked a lot of seniors and lost some key pieces from that uh, college playoff final team last year. So um, you, you catch Georgia early. I think a lot of people are looking at that game and thinking that it could really shape the season. 
And when you look at, you know, what South Carolina returns in year three, you know, defensively, Muschamp took this team from, uh, you know, I think his first season they were, you know, they were an average defensive team. I mean, the personnel, the system, all those things still being installed and took it to last season. They were a top 25 scoring defense, barely, but they were in there and they win nine games. They beat Michigan in the bowl game. So there's an upward trajectory, and they, and they still return a lot of pieces this year. They'll have more experience, and they'll have some guys that are actually, you know, more guys that are probably going to hear their name called the NFL draft after this year. So there is some more talent there. There's still – look, the roster's not where it needs to be, say, in year six, seven, um, and and the, there's still some depth problems. They need to stay healthy. They need to have Debo Samuel healthy. They need to improve on offense, which uh, I think internally they feel pretty good about being able to be more productive, at least even if this team could be serviceable offensively, you know, it would be a step up. But I think they feel like they have the opportunity to maybe put some points on the board this year. So uh, the schedule is not easy, um, but it it, it is set up to where South Carolina could make a run. I think a lot of fans are looking at it saying, you know, maybe not an expectation, but saying, hey, there's an opportunity here to win 10 games. There's an opportunity if you beat Georgia – and don't slip up the rest of the way, you know, maybe you can sneak into Atlanta in year three, which would be, I mean, honestly would be quite an accomplishment for this team. You uh, you mentioned Debo Samuel and every person listening to this podcast through whatever his listening device was out the window. But um, for anyone who might still be listening, uh, you talk about the schedule. And Chris, you correct me if my memory is just faulty here. I understand South Carolina's schedule is always set up a little differently because they have that end of the year game against Clemson. But South Carolina seems to me every year to be that team in week one or week two playing kind of a big-time SEC East game, and then, like, their SEC schedule is done in, you know, like the first week in November usually. This year, their last two SEC game or their last two games are non-conference games. Am I misremembering, or is this a team that seems to get its conference schedule done before almost anybody else? Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit more unique this year. I mean, they, you know, they do typically have – you know, sort of, I guess you could say the week off game, you know, before Clemson, you know, Clemson being the, the non-conference final, you know, is that Clemson this year. Typically they're going to have a non-con game before that. Last year it was Wofford. Um, this year it's UT Chattanooga at home. Yeah, I mean, you know, last year they, they had to play at Georgia at the beginning of November, and then they played at home against Florida on the 11th. And then from there you've got Wofford and then Clemson, uh, two non-conference games. And, you know, this year uh, they're going to be at Ole Miss November 3rd, at Florida November 10th, and then your last two games are Chattanooga and Clemson. And so, um, at Clemson. So, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll look when they get to the end of October, they'll have a good idea of where they stand. Yeah. Um, because it's not like, and I'm not, look, they could, they could lose at Ole Miss and at Florida. Hey, they could lose at Kentucky. People got to remember, I mean, Kentucky's beat this team several years in a row. It's been sort of inexplicable. Uh, even when South Carolina's looked like the better team, for example, last year, they lost at home in a night game at Williams-Brice to Kentucky. It's just been sort of crazy. So that's the type of thing. Look, they, if they, they need to beat Georgia, I think, to be able to have a chance to win the East, but then they got to take care of the rest of the business. But I think they'll know at the end of October – if they're doing well in conference, they can look at it and say, okay, if we go win these final two road games, you know, we've got a chance here. And so, uh, go ahead. You know, their schedule, I I like what you said, because I've told Missouri fans the same thing. Like, 
Yeah, it's a hard schedule, but like you're in the SEC, you're going to play a hard schedule, you know? I mean, South Carolina has – they really – the only game that you look at and say, okay, they're going to be a decided underdog probably is Georgia. Even though that's at South Carolina, you expect Georgia's going to be favored in that game. But the rest of them, I mean, they may be favored in the other seven, but you mentioned Kentucky. Uh, I think Missouri should be picked third in the East. You're at Vanderbilt. You're at Florida. A&M comes to – I mean, they're all a bunch of games where you go, yeah, they're they're probably going to be favored, but these are going to be a lot – they're going to be a ton of toss-up games in the SEC this year. There are, and I think a lot of teams have uncertainty, right, whether it's, you know, Florida, they've sort of finally cycled out. And when I say finally, I don't mean it in a good way. You know, they, <laughs> they've cycled out must-champ defensive recruits. Mm-hmm. And they've recruited some good players along the way, but his defensive recruiting there was elite. I mean, there's not, right. there's no two ways about it. And so, you know, how good will they be defensively? And then, look, they got nowhere to go but up on offense. But, you know, how much? And, and that's improve? been the case for like nine years now. Right. I mean, just for, forever. And so, um, you know, Missouri has its own. I mean, I'm, you guys will do a much better job of covering that than me. But, you know, they, they got a new offense coming in, Jimbo Fisher to A&M. You know, Tennessee has a lot of work to do from a personnel standpoint. It's year one for Jeremy Pruitt. You know, South Carolina is is going to do some things off, offensively that's different from a philosophical standpoint. they got a different offensive coordinator, different uh, quarterbacks coach, and, and things should, again, you know, be, just because they've been near the bottom in a lot of categories, things should go up there. You know, for me, Georgia, I think they're still going to be formidable. They're still going to be really good. It's a very talented team. They've recruited well. They always recruit well. But, but man, I mean, if you watch senior night and how many guys walked, um, and then some of the juniors they lost, they lost a lot of guys. And you don't just automatically, you know, rebound from that. Unless now, you're in by, Tuscaloosa. By the year of the end. Right, right. You really, you really don't. And so now, and, and people have made that comparison that Georgia is sort of, you know, you know, an Alabama East type of situation, and, and I could see why that comparison would be made. But, I, look, I still think they're going to be really good. But for South Carolina, you, if you print out the schedule and hand it to them, they're not going to say, whoa, I'm just so fired up to play it. But it's about as good as they could hope for in catching Georgia at home and early second game, you know, after you play Coastal at home. And then, like you said, the road games, you know, heck, they could lose – two, three of them, but it's it's sort of what you would hope for in terms of how the schedule's built out. Chris, I know uh, it, it rarely ends up uh, working out that, that one thing will you know make the difference between a, a couple wins, but uh, when, when people kind of are, are looking at this South Carolina team this year, what's kind of the, the X factor uh, in your mind? You know, if this happens or if this position group plays well, that they have a legitimate shot at, you know, maybe winning nine or ten games? I mean, th- this is going to sound almost like I'm pinning way too much on one player, but I mean, seriously, if Debo Samuel's healthy, that that can be a game changer for them. I mean, you look at you guys are familiar with what he did against Missouri. Uh-huh. You know, I, I what recall, he did in the, yes. in the NC State game, right? First play against Kentucky, you know, he takes a little RPO slant and he's gone. You know, and uh, then he he suffered his injury in that Kentucky game and. Um, there are some things that just took the wind out of South Carolina's sails in that game, and, and for what, whatever reason, that was one of them, and they just didn't do much. Then, you know, you look after that, they started struggling. I mean, the first two games, they put up 35 and 31 points. 
um, against NC State and at Missouri. Kentucky, they only score 13. One of those was a Debo Samuel touchdown. Then next week's L.A. Tech, they almost lost that game. Couldn't do anything offensively. You know, score 17 on the road against A&M, 15 against a bad Tennessee team. They scored 48 against Arkansas, but it's three defensive scores. You know, so they they struggled without Debo, and that was an offense that wasn't as good. And I think they'll be a little bit – they'll be poised and in a better position this year to make some things happen. But Debo can get you a special team score. He can He can get you some key first downs. He can get you an individual great play that's worth six a game. And so if he's healthy, it's a game changer for them. You know, they, they maybe they get a, have a better shot last year against Georgia or even against Clemson, you know, if they've got him out there to make plays. I'm not saying they win either of those games, but certainly I think there's an argument to be made they could have done more than they did in those games, which they scored 10 in each of those games <laughs> respectively. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's it. I mean, just improving offensively in general. I don't think it's going to be a dominant defense. It's year three. They're still building. Um, they've improved the defense every year. I think it'll probably be fairly comparable to last year's group, opportunistic group, a solid group, um, and maybe they're a, a hair better. But that, that to me, is the biggest thing is they've just got to score some more points. They can do that. I mean, then they've got a chance to make some noise, and Debo's a key part of that. Chris, I want to ask you because I, I know South Carolina fans are always – Clemson is the rivalry on the schedule, but that's a non-conference game. Missouri fans have been searching for years in this league as a rivalry. I know the SEC wants to make Arkansas one, whatever. We'll see if it eventually is. To me, the game I, I, I seem to find myself every year looking on the schedule and saying, this is the game that really kind of determines what this season can be, and I think it should be this way for both teams, at least as the SEC East is right now, and that is Tennessee down, Florida down. As it is right now, I think Missouri and South Carolina look at that game, and I think it was true last year. You go into that game going, the winner of this game's got a shot to make some noise. The loser of this game has ground to make up. Missouri was was really bad after that game for a month. South Carolina turned in a good season, and I, you know, the way I view the SEC East, okay, Georgia may not be every single year head and shoulders, but that's the best program in this division right now. To me, South mm-hmm. Carolina is going to be picked second. I would pick Missouri third, but those are the team. Every year, I think each of those teams should look at the other one and go, if we beat that one, we're kind of on our way to maybe getting where we want to be in this division. I, I mean, what do South do South Carolina fans think twice about this game? Because to me, that's kind of a the programs are pretty similar over over time, and to me, if you get a leg up in that game, then you go, okay, we need to beat Vandy and Kentucky, keep Florida and Tennessee down, and we've got a chance to be you know the second best program. And if we beat Georgia on the right day, we can play in Atlanta. Right. Well, and I think you make some good points about it being sort of that swing game because, you know, for South Carolina, if if you can't beat Missouri, you know, you're going to have a tougher time, you know, beating Georgia. Now, of course, the game, Georgia games earlier, but just on a consistent basis, you know, I mean, you look at like 2012 and 13, South Carolina wins those Missouri games. And you look at, I mean, the 2013 game at Missouri with the, with the combat with Connor Shaw, I mean, that was a huge game for that season. They didn't make it to Atlanta, um, but it, it was a, it was a big, I mean, they still win 11 games that year. 2014, they had just a gut punch loss uh, at Missouri at, or versus Missouri at home. And, you know, they end up, you know, they had a decent season. It was seven and six that season, you know, 2015, they win three games overall and they lost to Missouri 24, 10 on the road. So, you know, I get what you're saying. I mean, it, it has sort of – there's been a little bit of a trend there. 
I think Gamecock fans, if you were to sort of poll them, I mean, ESPN had, you know, most important games on each schedule recently. And for South Carolina, they picked Missouri as the most important game. Now, I did not agree with them and that it's the most important game of the season um, just because I think, I mean, you can point to Georgia. I think it's Georgia's the most game. important non-Georgia game. I, I mean, let's assume ESPN's right. going, well, Georgia's going to win that game, so what's the next one for South Carolina? I think, and I think that's probably, you know, that, that was a point that's been made around here is that the assumptions probably they win that game. So, okay, what's your next one? What's sort of your must win? You know, I, I may point to – Gamecock fans probably point to Kentucky. I'd probably point to Kentucky, too, just because I think Gamecock fans have a sour taste from losing to Kentucky the past several years, and they feel like it shouldn't have happened. But I think, you know, you pointing out that trend of how it's sort of shaped the season for both teams is very interesting, and I, I can agree with those points. It's certainly not a game that – you know, you can't let it be that that stub-toe game. I mean, South Carolina's had one of those, even with their best teams – They've had one or two of those games each year. Now, 2012, which is the best South Carolina football team of all time, in my opinion, better than the team that made it to Atlanta in 2010, they had a couple of those games, but they happened to be the following. At LSU at night, right. they lost by two. And then at Florida during the day, half the team's sick. You know, Muschamp's Florida team did absolutely nothing offensively and still won by 33 points. It was just one of the weirdest football games I've ever seen. Uh, had some turnovers early. It was just it was just not a good situation. So, and that was a good Florida team. So th- those are the two games they lost. But then you look at you know other years they lost to a bad Auburn team at home. They lost to a bad Tennessee team on the road. There's just you know th- there's a loss to Kentucky one year. I mean there's just always been uh, one of those games that's tripped them up. I mean that that 2012 team. Uh, you know, just absolutely whipped some teams, but they just ran into a buzzsaw. So um, some of the other teams have been good too, and they've just had that one game. And so for them, I can see why, you know, people would point to that as such an important game where, you know, you you don't want to lose that Missouri game because then that can really sort of derail your season. I mean, what if they beat Georgia at home? (laughs) And 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 flip side, if you lose to Georgia and Missouri beats you, the East is done. You have no chance. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Georgia's one you can overcome, but a Kentucky loss, a Missouri loss, a Tennessee loss, you know, that that sort of changes the course of your season and how people look at it. Chris, uh, obviously, you know, Will Muschamp kind of took over a less than perfect situation a couple years ago after he had kind of flamed out at Florida. I'm just kind of curious, um, how, how patient uh, kind of have the fans been with him? And do you feel like, you know, if he were to maybe take a step back or maybe not take the step forward that uh, maybe some fans expect this season if suddenly he is on a little bit of a hot seat, or is that premature? I think it'd be very premature. Um, you know, I think it depends on the circumstances, too. I mean, you know, if you have 20 season-ending injuries to people like you had one year at Florida or something like that, that sort of changes the equation. So you look at the circumstances and what kind of progress? Now, as we as we all know, and this this is a shocking notion, but some fans are a little unrealistic um, really? in the expectations. Yeah, I mean, hmm. I'm I'm going out on a limb. Yeah. But, um, so you know, I mean, sure. I mean, there have been there have been games. What what Will Muschamp's done so far? I I have no clue how the rest of it's going to go. I think the trajectory is going up. That's what I see from covering recruiting in this team every day. I think it's going up from, you know, recruiting to 
the coaching, the development of players to the roster, to the facilities. I think everything's going up, but other teams are taking steps to improve too. I mean, it might make it more difficult. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just it's it's tough to tell how it's going to go. I think anybody that looks at the situation and says, "Ah, well, Muschamp, what he's done at South Carolina is not good." I mean, that's just crazy. He's yeah. he's done an excellent job, and so I think there has to be a recognition of that. Um, and where things are going. But I, I do think there's certainly a notion among the fan base that the expectations are, are, have now been heightened, and I think everybody um, is okay with that and, and recognizes that. Um, but I, I do think it's important that they take some type of other step forward this season, uh, barring you know some a crazy run of injuries or something like that. That actually leads perfectly into my last question, uh, and, and then we'll let you run. But – I have made a comparison between Will Muschamp and Barry Odom to Missouri fans before in this regard. I could see Barry Odom being a guy who fails at his first head coaching job. Then he goes somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe rehabs his image as a DC for a couple years. And then the second time around, like Will Muschamp to me is the guy I hold up. Here's why you don't fire a guy the first time you want to fire a guy, because guess what? As they do this job longer, they get better at being a head coach. Will Muschamp's first head coaching job was at Florida. I I would assume, I've never talked to him about this, you probably have. I bet he would now look back and go, there's a lot of things I didn't know and a lot of things I didn't do right there that I'm now changing, and that's why it's going to work at South Carolina. I could see Barry Odom 10 years from now being a good Power 5 head coach, but it not being at Missouri and him saying, you know what, I wasn't ready for that job. I didn't do it the right way the first time, but I learned and I got better. And I know that is shocking to people that that coaches can't improve over time, but Will Muschamp (laughs) to me is the example. There's there's a bunch of examples of that, and he's a really good one. I mean, look, he learned from – it's being different being in the chair – I mean, because you yep. look at him, and he was when he was at Texas, he was the hottest assistant in the country. I right, mean, he was going to be the head coach in 19 years when <laughs> when Mac Brown stepped right, out. Right, exactly, exactly. He's going to be the head coach at Texas. I mean, Clemson wanted to interview him. Tennessee wanted to interview him. A bunch of places, and he, um, you know, he, he's he's a guy that has learned from Nick Saban, Mac Brown, Tommy Tuberville. He's got some qualities of all of those guys too. Um, it, which is really interesting. But, yeah, until you actually do it, you know, it, it, it's different. I mean, it's different actually being in the chair. And, and the thing at Florida was they, they just didn't figure out the offense for whatever reason. Florida, as we have seen, and there are numerous examples of this, Florida is just a unique job. It's it's had some, some interesting situations there. I mean, Steve Spurrier walked away from that job. I mean, they, they've had coaches – that have left and had success at other places too. And they've had coaches that have won big there. Now Muschamp didn't win big there. He had one uh, pretty doggone good year and one SEC coach of the year. One year he had a bunch of crazy injuries. It just didn't figure it out um, in terms of the offense. But he he learned some things along the way. There's some things he's done that you can see differently at South Carolina. And certainly what they've done defensively with development of players and the way he runs the program, the way he recruits, how hands-on he is. You know, all those things are, are very much still in place. And I think that's why he's had success, because he has that burning desire to be, you know, successful again. And, you know, I mean, look, it takes people time to win. People are just so impatient nowadays, whether you use an old example, like how long it took Frank Beamer to build Virginia Tech. Even, I mean, heck, I, you know, I, I hear a lot about Clemson, you know, South Carolina's rival. 
I mean, Dabo Swinney almost got fired. I mean, people wanted to fire him after he lost five straight to South Carolina. And they had some good teams even during that stretch. And now look at him. So it's a deal that requires patience. Um, You know, I know Will Muschamp had some words for – positive words for Barry Odom after the game recently where, you know, he sort of told him to tune out some of the stuff um, and, and, and that he was a really good football coach. So I agree with you. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he did well at Missouri either. Um, but certainly I think you got to have some patience. And um, a lot of people looked at Will Muschamp getting hired at South Carolina and went, you know, that's crazy. Yep. But when you look at traits in people and, and what was needed for the job, it was really a, a very good fit for both parties. All right, well, Chris, appreciate it, man, and we will uh, definitely be catching up with you uh, down the road in your in your lovely town. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate thanks, you Chris. having me. All right, have a good one. Chris Clark, GamecockCentral.com. They do a great job covering South Carolina. And I really, just to kind of finish this up, like, look, I know, I would say you have to know who you are. Like, Missouri fans spent so long in the Big 8 and Big 12 we want to be better than Kansas in basketball and better than Nebraska in football. Well, you can do that. You can say that if you want, but the goal really should have been be better than Oklahoma State in football and OU in basketball. And you're going to be in a pretty good place. That doesn't mean you can't have years where you're better than those other teams. So if you're in the SEC East right now, I think a realistic goal for anybody not named Georgia is keep Tennessee and Florida down as long as you can. And I don't think that's going to be, I think one of them might stay down, but I don't think they both will. But right now, for me, South Carolina and Missouri should be looking at this going, this is our time to establish ourselves as the second-best program in this division and maybe catch the first-best program on the right day. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, it is definitely a, uh, a fan tendency to hold up the best years as, like, the norm and, right. you know, forget about the uh, the down, really down years. But, yeah, I mean, if you, you know, if, if you're Missouri or South Carolina, either one, like you said, and you you beat the other one, then you have kind of the inside track on, on maybe that number two position and give yourself hope of possibly uh, going to Atlanta if things go right. If you lose to the other one and, you know, you lose – game you're expected to lose such as for Missouri you know George at at uh at Alabama and home against Georgia then you have no chance so essentially uh it it can be kind of a uh you know a a swing from maybe two with a hope at at one in the east versus you know looking at kind of the 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 seller yeah I mean the the loser of that game has no chance to win the SEC exactly I I mean maybe South Carolina still could if they if they did beat Georgia in week two it's if Missouri I, I mean this is if Missouri loses to South Carolina, they ain't going to Atlanta. Yeah, now, look, I don't certainly. think they're going to Atlanta anyway. Right, right. But, it, like, they have to win that game to go to Atlanta. There is yeah. absolutely no question. So, I uh, appreciate Chris joining us, and we're going to spend the last part of this podcast talking about something near and dear to all Missouri fans' hearts, <laughs> which is kicking the nuts way to lose games. Um, because last night was maybe as painful as I've ever seen. Um, Arkansas has a 3-2 lead in the ninth inning against Oregon State. If they win the game, they win the College World Series. First time ever. They've never won it. Dave Van Horn, their coach, uh, has been there. This is his seventh time. He's never won it. Arkansas is a pretty good baseball program, but has never won it. So, uh, tying runs on third base. Arkansas's dominant closer, pitching for the second night in a row for the first time all year, like 30-some-odd pitches, has two strikes on kid. Gets him to hit a pop-up in foul ground. There is like eight miles of foul territory in Omaha. The first baseman's kind of turned around. Doesn't quite get there. 
The right fielder was playing deep, sprints in. The second baseman is sprinting over, calls it, overruns it, and the right fielder sees it drop about two feet in front of him. Two pitches later, game-tying single. Two batters later, two-run home run. Oregon State has a world of momentum going in trying to win their third college World Series tonight. So let's talk about the most painful losses. To me, there are some qualifications. Mm -hmm. It has to be in a championship setting. Mm -hmm. Like Missouri fans are going to say, you know, fifth down, kickball. Yeah, those suck. Yeah. But they weren't like in, you weren't winning anything for winning that game. I'll listen to Tyus Edney's the most painful loss in Missouri history because it was in the tournament. Mm -hmm. There there was something. Winner go home. Yeah, Norfolk State, maybe. I mean, there was something Mm -hmm. in front of you. You didn't get to play again. Arkansas, if they if they win tonight, this doesn't matter. But if they lose, boy, that's up there with as as tough a way as I can remember. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So you know, my like experiences with with tough losses, you know, come from being a a, a fan. Like, and the only program I've been really that big of a fan of is uh, the Denver Broncos. And so I would say that from my, ex- I always like you know people ask you this and you you think about it is it worse to get like blown out in a really big game or you know snatch a defeat from the jaws of victory oh, so i would speak. much rather lose 51 to 3 than 13 absolutely 10. what i was gonna say so you know uh, 2014 the super bowl the broncos go and get absolutely run by the seattle seahawks it was terrible i hated it but by by the third quarter you'd come to terms with you it yeah. uh, a couple of seasons earlier when they uh lost to the baltimore ravens in the playoffs uh, Raheem Moore badly misplayed a deep prayer from Joe Flacco when the Broncos had like a six-point lead very late in the game or something like that, eventually lost in double overtime. That like took me, no, no joke, like months to get over. Like that was it, truly like just crushing. So, uh, and, and obviously, you know, Arkansas, like you said, does have a chance tonight to, you know, make it go away. People won't really remember it as much. Right. But if they lose, like that's the, the same level of loss where a you just it, you didn't even imagine it happening, and then it and happens in an the, absurd way. Here's the second factor to me in what's the most painful, and that is, have you won other times? Right, right, You know, right. like, okay, if Denver loses a Super Bowl this year in a crazy painful way, but they've got five. Right, and like, to, also, to be fair, at both of those points, they had never won right, it in my lifetime. Right. So that's why I was, yes, I would and, be, I, now that I've seen them win one, I will be much cooler with future playoff yes. losses. So Arkansas has never won. So that is, that to me ratchets it up. The, the, if we're talking pro, like clearly to me, to be a Cleveland Browns fan, to have lived through the drive and the fumble, like mm-hmm. I don't think it's, a, the fumble is the worst single loss I've ever seen. Like yeah. I remember watching that game live and I didn't realize until about five seconds later that Ernest Biner did not have the ball in the end. <laughs> that to me is the most painful loss I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you probably enjoyed it. I, I was, I was not really around for that one. I, uh, oh, the, oh yeah. yeah, that was before my lifetime. That's right. That was like, but, God, that was like ninety two or something. Yeah, right. I, I wasn't born yet. Sorry to make you feel God, that's old, terrible. but, uh, but yes, no. I mean, and and you know, I'm sure that you know we'll we'll probably have Missouri fans coming to us with with examples and uh, that that we overlooked. But yeah, definitely uh, the whole snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Or, Defeat from the jaws of victory thing is the worst way to go. Yeah, in college losses, like I, I don't, n- nothing immediately jumps out to me in like a title scenario. I mean, and this Duke obviously doesn't qualify as the never has won anything. But what if Gordon Hayward's half court shot goes in? Yeah, <laughs> would easily have been the most painful loss in in college basketball history right right, right. Yeah. i mean I, I cannot imagine anything worse than that it, going outside the traditional sports and i don't remember 
which Olympics this was. I believe the girl's name is Lindsay Jacobellis. I, I could yeah. be wrong, but it, she was a snowboarder. Right. And, like, had the lead, was winning a gold medal, celebrated in the in the air on the final jump, fell down and didn't medal. Right, yeah. No, that, um, that, that's as bad as it gets. But that, like, I blame her for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that, that's at least her fault. Um, it's, it's also, it's I really feel like pain. that's easier, like, to, in, like, you'll have, you've, there's some great, like, collapses we could go through in, like, golf or other individual sports of, of people just, right. just choking. But in that one, you know, the, you just mentioned the Arkansas example. It's like three, three players had to mess up, essentially, for, for that yes. play to happen. And then the, and then the, the their lights out closer still had to give up two more hits. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm sure the people listening to this podcast actually kind of enjoyed it mm-hmm. last night. And, um, and, you know, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm i okay with Oregon State winning the World Series. I really don't care. I've watched, I've watched exactly one half inning of the college baseball tournament. It was that half inning. Nice. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, that is – so when you say it, it doesn't happen other places, it happens everywhere. Like, that <laughs> is, if Arkansas does not win tonight – in 25 years, Arkansas fans will talk about that foul ball right. and, and how they didn't catch it. Um, you know, So we try to lift your spirits by just uh, being as negative as we possibly can. Um, I don't really have anything to make you feel better. You? I mean, yeah, no, just, you know, this part of being a fan happens everywhere. Yeah. You're, not, you're not unique. <laughs> yeah, so, um, all right, so next week I – I don't know if we'll still do. Are you going out of town and celebrating for yeah. the Fourth of July? Yeah, I'll be. I'll be. I could potentially be be gone for a few weeks. Uh, I'll be. I'll be on vacation next week, and then in Atlanta slash Augusta, South Carolina, I believe the following Thursday. Maybe yes. I can like call in or something. Yes, I don't we know. will. We will definitely get you on the phone from the Peach Jam. I wouldn't want the people to go without me for two weeks. Yes, and and then the following week we will actually, I believe, both be in Hoover, Alabama. But the uh, the upshot of this is. Like, the slow time is almost over. Mm-hmm. Um, 4th of July, next next week is really the last week where we're going to go. I'm not sure what we talk about and what we do. Um, because then again, after that, uh, Mitchell will be covering the Peach Jam and Under Armour Finals in Atlanta. I will meet him in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. And then, you know, we're two weeks from fall camp. Yeah, not at the zoo in there somewhere. Yeah, not at the zoo, end of July. So, uh, a lot of stuff definitely going to be coming up. Um, we will continue. We'll try to get you a podcast next week, even without Mitchell. I've found that I can be incredibly entertaining on my own <laughs> for half an hour. So maybe we'll uh, preview some Alabama football. I We might spend a little more time on that than we did Tennessee Martin, but maybe not a lot. <laughs> yeah. that I mean, that you know, that game is results pretty predictable yeah well uh well here's since you won't be here next week we'll finish it up with this my my son's 21st birthday is in august and his present is actually going to be um two airline tickets and two tickets to the game in tuscaloosa because it's one of those places like if you have a chance to go i think you should go um so uh 21st birthday good memories bad memories or no memory at all i i literally had one beer that was it i was uh really yeah i was responsible i i had a swim meet the next day i was a swimmer and i uh yeah wanted to swim well so i i it's, it sounds okay. so lame i've had good times in my life i swear i have fun i, <laughs> I had i had one beer and i watched jeopardy i had uh i had one beer and then i also had one more beer and then there was um a number of shots somewhere north of 21. So I am <laughs> so no memory. I, I, I remember um, some of the night. Mm-hmm. The 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 end of it, I certainly do not. But Fair, fair. I don't so, think you're alone. 
So that's that. Um, yeah, 21st birthdays in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I don't know where that's going to rank on the uh, on the scale, but uh, better than one beer and watching Jeopardy, probably. Uh, I don't know. Jeopardy's <laughs> some good stuff. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's it, man. We got nothing else to say. We'll talk to you next week.